Hey, Justin and JP. All right. So you guys are the founders of StoryCo. And StoryCo, just to re read from your website, is an open storytelling platform where creators and fans collaborate and co-create the next great story franchises and jointly participate in their success. So I want to dive deep into that, obviously. Can you tell me just, just about your background, you know, high level? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, thanks for having us on the podcast. Uh, it's it's been a long time coming. Uh, so uh, the th third time's the charm is what they say, right? So, I, I think this uh, is actually the, the fourth time. So hopefully, hopefully this works. But <laughs> well, we got this. We nailed it. By now, we've got this down. Um, yeah. So uh, first of all, I think it's important to say that JP and I are brothers, and we are the co-founders of StoryCo together. Uh, I come from a less uh, traditional Hollywood background. Uh, I come from more of a tech background. I was the founder and CEO of a tech company, started it in about 2013. I then, uh, that business was acquired in 2018 by a publicly traded company. It was in the real estate data and analytics space because that's where my background was before that. And uh, that's when I jumped into uh, Web3 and crypto, I started getting deep into different DAOs and uh, in, mo mostly around investing to start. Uh, met guys like Jess Sloss from Seed Club, who I know you're familiar with, and got deep in the Seed Club ecosystem. Uh, the first DAO I ever joined was Metacartel Ventures, which is an investment DAO with a bunch of amazing members in the space, uh, founders of Axie Infinity and Audius and you name it. And so it was a great network to really... Um, start getting deep into crypto and start understanding the landscape, meet entrepreneurs, meet founders, understand what was happening across the space. And um, I started, I just got crypto pilled. I started really believing in the idea of open access and new ownership models that crypto could uniquely enable. And it was about a year ago when I pinged my brother who was a producer in Hollywood and doing some really, really amazing things and said, Hey, listen, you remember Netflix and how it disrupted the internet? I think, something very similar is about to happen with Web3 technology, and you have to understand this stuff. Uh, and that's how we got started talking about uh, what would become StoryCo. And probably a good segue into JP telling you a bit, bit about his background. Awesome. Yeah, totally. I mean, never thought we'd be able to work together, honestly. It just like never occurred to me that the that would be in the cards. But this opportunity just seems so squarely in in sort of each of our skill sets. And I think we're really uniquely positioned um, because we come from such different backgrounds uh, to be able to tackle this problem together. I come from a, a much more traditional Hollywood background, uh, at least initially, and then uh, kind of took a left turn. But, um, you know, always wanted to make TV. Uh, that was my dream forever um, since I... Uh, probably was in middle school and just obsessed with TV <laughs> uh, and uh, ended up going to um, USC film school and, and graduated there and, and went to go work in that traditional space uh, in the way that TV shows are made, went to Lionsgate and was able to watch some really amazing television be made. But ultimately, when I got there and started was really exposed to the ins and outs of, of Hollywood and, and how content gets made. Um, got really jaded with the process. And that was um, right at the sort of dawn of the age of digital distribution. Um, you know, Netflix at that time was just starting to make original content. We were working on Orange is the New Black at Lionsgate. And and I was also working on some network shows. And I was like, one of these is the future. And one uh, in this ABC show, probably the past. And I just saw the internet as this new way for premium content to be delivered, uh, saw the future of that. And if we could fix this distribution problem, if we could use the internet to to get premium content to people, you know, you really fixed a lot of the distribution issues. You really fixed a lot of uh, problems that creators were having in terms of getting audience. And that was right around the time I was introduced to Tyler, the creator. Tyler's a, an amazing creative uh, rapper, but musician, but so much more than that, just the multi-hyphenate in, in the truest sense. And Tyler really wanted to make TV shows, but didn't want a lot of network notes. <laughs> uh, and, and Tyler had this really engaged community. So we thought that we could go direct to consumer. Uh, we thought we could make whatever Tyler wanted to make in terms of content and then uh, use his audience to uh, fund that. 
And so that's what we did. We created a direct consumer media platform and we created a production company and it was extremely successful. And I learned a lot of things there uh, by doing that. I learned, I think the first thing is that if you build proof of concepts around content, uh, prove it out in you know a different medium or a cheaper medium than TV, uh, and you build community around those things, your hit rate in being able to incubate that and sell that into uh, you know the the premium content uh, distributors of the world, you know the the TV networks of the world, your hit rate is much much greater. You're going in uh, with a lot of ammo to those meetings, and I also learned just how I was exposed to how much creativity there is going on outside of this little bubble that I was in, in Los Angeles. And we think of Los Angeles as, you know, the sort of creative epicenter of the world. And it's, it's just not. <laughs> and there's so many interesting things that people are doing all around the world, doing amazing art, doing amazing animation, doing um, amazing writing that just don't have the access to uh, Los Angeles. And uh, a lot of those people are fans of Tyler and they started sending us their stuff. And we started, interacting with that community in a, in a really great way. We started using them to uh, for feedback on the content that we were creating. We started incorporating them into the content that we were making. So when we needed something made, we would tap our audience. And I think StoryCo, those are really the principles that StoryCo is, is founded on. Um, I really wanted to find a way to scale what we were doing with Tyler because we were making Tyler's dreams come true in terms of the content that he wanted to make and incorporating community into that. How do we make, uh, you know, the kid in Minnesota, you know, how do we make his idea come to life uh, and build a community around that? And that's really, I think, the essence of what we're trying to do at StoryCo. And, and it took my brother, who had been in Web3, you know, he was telling me, like, right in the pandemic, it was like, I just minted this thing called the Bored Ape. And I was like, you're stupid, bro. Uh, yeah, time has not been kind to me on, on that comment. But yeah, uh, I just got, he finally, you know, made me see uh, the future there. And once I connected it to all of the things that I had um, been doing in Hollywood and it just, it fits so perfectly. Sorry. I know that's a long answer, but yeah. No. Okay. So amazing. Okay. So I have a big multi-part question for you guys. And also I'm going to be using the phrase Hollywood, which I'm using as like a catch-all term for like media industry, Hollywood. So I guess how does Hollywood slash media industry operate today? What is wrong with Hollywood and how is StoryCo solving that? I know it's like a massive part, but we can kind of take it in chunks. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a, it's a big question because uh, there's, uh, there's so much uh, wrong with it. Let me tackle it from the sort of creative side first, and then we can maybe get into the, the business side because I think um, those are two sort of unique things that are going on. From the creative side, you know, if you're not if you come with an original idea to Hollywood, like you <laughs> drive from wherever you live, you get an apartment, you have this script, you know, good luck, man. Uh, the gatekeepers that exist around Hollywood, it's it's brutal. I mean, it starts with agents. Like first you got to get yourself an agent. I mean, people, networks don't take unsolicited material, right? So you can't just go and submit your, for legal reasons, right? Like, uh, you know, so that they don't get sued when you when they create a, a movie that kind of looks like the, the script that you submitted to them. So they just don't take unsolicited material. So you have to go and uh, get that material um, submitted by an agent or a manager. Uh, you have to convince an agent or a manager that you're worth uh, <laughs> that you're worth representing, that you're worth, uh, you know, taking the time because uh, they're not going to see uh, any money out of it unless, you know, your thing sells. And so the barriers that exist, they're insurmountable for the majority of people. And that is regardless of talent, because it takes you having to move to LA, you know, I mean, there are geographic barriers, there are socioeconomic barriers, and none of those are real determinants on how good your creative is, or how creative you can be, or the stories that you can tell. Um, so I think that's always been the creative problem, right? That it's not always the best ideas that that win in Hollywood. It's uh, about reputation and it's about <laughs> getting to LA. It's about getting an agent. It's about all of these different things. And, and then once your thing sells um, to a network, you know, you could experience, you know, network, big network executives, their lifespan, like the president of of, of major networks, their lifespan is 
four or five years in those roles. And then it turns over. And when those things turn over, everything that that person was developing usually turns over too. And so regardless of how good your thing was or how much potential it had, because of some sort of regime change in Hollywood, your thing just gets shelved. And then nothing ever happens with that. Uh, It happens a lot. (laughs) Um, And uh, I think that's the creative problem. There is. So, and sorry, before moving on yeah. to the business side. Sure, sure. So, so the process is if I'm, I love TV. I want, I, I wrote this awesome TV show. I go to Hollywood. I literally have to like be in LA. I have to find an agent. I have to convince them to work with me. They say yes. Then they go to, to show the, the, the script to producers or like how, how, what happens after that? Yep. So they'll submit, but basically you're not getting a TV show made if, you just have a script like what you have to do is work up the ranks, right? So not you have to get an agent, but that then then that agent is probably wants to get you a job uh, in a writer's room. Um, you usually start um, by, you know, maybe even being uh, an assistant at um, at an agency uh, to just get your foot in the door. You a lot of writers start that way. Then you have to probably be a writer's room assistant. So you're an assistant to all of the writers in a, in a spe- specific room um, that's writing a TV show. So you're taking notes and getting them lunch and being a showrunner's assistant and, and, and kind of learning the ropes. And then hopefully you can elevate yourself into a writer's position on another show where maybe you'll get to write an episode of that show if you're lucky. And then there's levels that you move up. Um, and you move up into writer's rooms. And as you develop this reputation, um, you're able to get in more rooms and you're able to get taken more seriously for the original content that you want to create. But I would say it's very, very rare that you come in with just an amazing idea or an amazing script and immediately get that. that it, thing it sounds made. like impossible, like it, it's I mean, like nearly impossible. Yeah, it's impossible. And it's, and it's especially impossible if you don't have the 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 means right because uh uh, because you're not getting paid a a livable salary on you know the the assist and in los angeles you know so you have to be um supported uh so if you're not if you got a whole bunch of student loans like it's just tough it's it's really tough and i think at the end of the day it doesn't make us get better content um because i think uh, at least original ideas, right? They're not able to break through. Wow. Okay. All right. So, so that's, that's on the creative side. It sounds basically, yeah, nearly impossible uh, unless you work, work for years going through that process that, that you laid out on the business side of things. How, how, how does, how does Hollywood function? Yeah. I think there's a big change that's happened, right? Um, uh, in the Hollywood side, um, especially for writers and getting into, uh, we're almost, we're a month away from April. Uh, sorry, we're recording this in <laughs> in March here. Um, I don't know when this is coming out, but things could look completely different when this podcast comes out because we're right on the verge of possibly another writer strike, and that happened back in 2008. But this one, it seems inevitable. I don't know. Uh, so what, what is that like? All writers in LA will just stop. Yep. Yep. Everyone will stop working. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's wild, but the reason that that might be happening, one of the main reasons that that might be happening is that between the last strike that happened in 2008 and now the complete landscape of media has changed, you know, streamers dominate the market. Now that was just not the case uh, before. And streamers came in with essentially a new model for how to pay writers and for how to pay for content. You know, usually you would uh, sell a show and um, you'd create that show and uh, that show would have a window uh, to be um, displayed in in the United States uh, for a certain amount of time. And then it would go into syndication or you could sell that show into different territories around the world. And that was your quote unquote back end, right? That was, um, if you, it, you know, if you had a movie, it was DVD sales. Like you always had the second life, uh, regardless of the content that you were making, uh, to make more money downstream. With streaming, that doesn't exist, right? We, we, streaming services are this endless library of content and it just sits on the shelf there and it doesn't really make more money, right? Like streaming services are global. Um, you know, so. Where is your backend as a writer if, you know, a, a streaming service owns your content in perpetuity 
and in every territory around the world. There's no, your content's not making money for you uh, as time goes on. So there's no Seinfeld money anymore. So, so I have a question. This is going to be really dumb. So um, if so I have a great show, I sell it to Netflix. And once I sell it to Netflix, and then, then it's done. It's like, I do, I get nothing else from that. I don't get royalties or, or anything. I mean, that probably depends on the contract, but is that? Uh, there, a lot of that's being negotiated now, but that's essentially how it works. Okay. Uh, you know, um, to really, uh, you know, um, I think simplify it. Yes, that, that is how it works. And so what ends up happening is you have these huge hits like Squid Game, right? Like, I think you got to give Netflix props because Squid Game never would have existed without Netflix, right? Like it's a foreign language show, pretty big budget. <laughs> um, that probably couldn't have existed without Netflix. Um, but that person who created that show uh, spent years on it. I mean, I, I think I, I read a story that uh, he sold the laptop that he wrote the show on uh, to make rent. And, and that's the situation that he was in. But finally, uh, after, you know, working in the industry, he was able to sell that show to Netflix, um, get it made. That became obviously this global phenomenon. Uh, you know, I read a report that it's worth like a, a quarter or half a billion dollars to the Netflix platform, that show. But that guy did not participate in the upside success of what that is. He just got paid the amount of money that he got paid in order to create the show. And of course, he's going to make it up on the next one. Uh, the next deal he has is going to be a much richer deal. You know, season two or three of that show, he's going to get paid more money. But it doesn't make sense that he doesn't contribute in the upside success of what that is. So streamers came in. Uh, with this model, which they call a cost plus model. Um, so basically they were enticing writers uh, to come to them to make content and they were going to pay you 20% more upfront than any other network. But all of that backend money, you didn't get that, right? So um, they were going to pay you a little bit more upfront and you weren't going to see any money on, on the sort of backend. Um, and that's kind of the norm and it's, it's, it's really become the norm now after, after streamers have come into the market and yeah, I mean, writers are pissed about that, right? Uh, you know, writers and, and creators should participate in the downstream success of, of, of the things that they create. And I, I believe that fundamentally. Um, and I think that's one of the, one of the main issues that, that web three has the potential to to solve within Hollywood. Okay. So, okay. So to sum up the main, the two main issues, I mean, I'm sure there's many, but number one is gatekeeping. So just getting your ideas and content out there is exceptionally difficult. It sounds basically like nearly impossible. Number two is that with streaming, it's really messed up the economics of content to where it's kind of a one and done uh, deal. Is that like a, a relatively good summary? Yeah. I mean, it's hard it's hard to make content uh, exactly how you said. And when you do, you don't have the financial success that you, uh, you know, once had when, mm -hmm. when you finally do break through uh, you don't have the upside anymore. Um, and so I think it makes the fight of getting through those gatekeepers. I think it, it hurts even more because you've done all the work to get through those gatekeepers. You've made something awesome that is culturally relevant and suddenly you're seeing a whole lot of other people make money off of that thing. And you're not really, you're not really seeing that. So now what is Storyco doing and how is Storyco solving these issues? I've been, I've been talking a lot, Justin, you want to, you want to, sure. you want to take the Storyco? <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll jump in. Um, so you can think of Storyco as an open storytelling platform that leverages Web3 technology in order to provide new ownership and access models, um, uh, new ownership and access opportunities for creatives and fans. JP talked a lot about the problem that exists in Hollywood. And the solution to that is really creating a new network and a new set of technology uh, instruments uh, and features to allow for creators to both collaborate with one another, co-own the content that they create, and create really compelling and interesting stories for much lower cost 
in a much quicker timeline and actually start getting and building audience around those stories. And so that's the heart of, of what StoryCo is in its essence. There's a lot of other elements and, and really interesting things about the platform ultimately that we should probably talk about in terms of both Web3 technology, the platform and tooling itself, and what we're doing for, for our first production, the Disco Ball. Uh, but that's the heart of, of what the platform is. Sorry. Yeah. The platform's really meant to be a storytelling platform where anyone in the world can start to tell uh, their story, create community around that story, um, start to use that community to um, fund uh, what, whatever becomes uh, whatever that story wants to become, right? What, uh, that, that story is just a seed that's being planted. You're building community around that story. And then um, you know, the potential of what that story can become is, is sort of a limitless. Um, it could be the next Star Wars. And, and, and we do believe that, you know, the next Star Wars, the next big franchise probably is going to come from someone that is not in Los Angeles, probably someone from, uh, that doesn't live in the United States, uh, and that it could be created on our platform. All right. So this is lazy of me, but. Is there a good analogy of what Storyco is? Like, I don't know, like it, it's the Google for blah, 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 right? Is there, is, yeah. do you guys have that? Um, I think that there's not really a true one-for-one analogy, but I think the best maybe like it's Steam um, for stories uh, oh, is probably cool. the best analogy. Um, where we're a marketplace of new stories that people are telling. We're building the tooling that allows people to tell those stories, both the front end interface to tell these very interactive and rich stories, as well as the back end collaboration tools and actually the, the actual tools to actually compose your story, to build the characters, the objects, the scenery, the voiceover, the, 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 the animations, all of that for your story. Just the ability to distribute to an audience, the, the ability to be able to have a reputation and an identity on the platform. Uh, the ability then to be able to curate those stories and talk and show users and, and um, audience about what are the hottest news stories, what are the you know what are the most upvoted news stories, but then there's this this like bigger collaborative and co ownership model around what we're doing that leverages Web three that I think is very different from what Steam is doing. Well, somewhat different. Steam has the ability for you know um, uh, new creators to come in and create new games, very similar. But for us, there's also this co-ownership component where the stories that, that are being told on our platform are actually open sourced and the platform itself self will become a public good. So in that way, it's almost a little bit like Wikipedia where um, it, it's, it's, it, it becomes part of the public good. It's governed ultimately by a token way down the line. At some point we'll have that, but each story itself is, is a DAO and that DAO is governed by the creators who created the universe and also the people who are contributing the most value to that universe. And we have different innovations like the story pass, which is a soul bound token that catalogs your journey through the storytelling experience to be able to say, here's who is contributing in what way they're contributing to the story. And, and now we could give them ownership rewards, NFT rewards, and maybe they also want to have the ability to have additional governance that helps build the story out. And each one of these DAOs has its own treasury uh, that the proceeds from the universe in the sales of uh, on the platform from NFT sales, merch sales, um, from licensing sales to Netflix or, or HBO in the future, part of that revenue based on whatever the, the head creator decides goes into a shared treasury that then gets used as essentially an R&D kitty that the community can help um, govern. Uh, is, is probably the best way to describe it, where there's the, the creators still have ultimate control of where the story universe goes, but the, the community has a lot of say in terms of the way that we're building the platform to upvote certain stories, to highlight certain elements, to answer proposals and bounties that for, for co-creation opportunities, and the ability, the ability to free, free, freely create on top of these stories as well to create this user generated content that really starts to get some some fandom and vibrancy around these stories and ultimately what this leads to we think and with kind of the the future casting of technology where it's not just about web3 technology but also about what's happening in the generative ai space where the barriers to entry and to create are getting so low right and they're coming down so far 
And so what we're doing is essentially giving them the platform and the collaboration tools and the network to be able to then create these stories collectively together, build an audience, and then monetize these stories in very interesting ways. And what that does is it, is it shrinks the gap and closes the gap really between what, be, between fans and creators. And it makes creators, fans, fans, creators. And like, it becomes this meshing of this, of the creator economy where everybody is a creator. And that's kind of one of our, our, our slogans internally kind of born from Nike. Nike says, everyone's an athlete, right? Everyone uses Nike. Everyone's an athlete. Same thing for us. Everyone's a creator. Um, and we want to lower the barrier to entry to become a creator so that anybody can feel like they can add to maybe the universe that they're a huge fan of or create a whole new universe because they've got that one universe in them. Damn. It, it sounds kind of like, you know, I'm sure you guys know Wattpad. It sounds like Wattpad when you like, Dialed up to like eleven and like gave it like tons of features. It's, it's, it's like kind of totally. similar to that. Yeah, yeah I mean, Wattpad, Wattpad is. Think, a... Go ahead, JP. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, Wattpad is um, a, a, a fiction writing platform. Um, you know, you can create new stories on Wattpad. You can um, uh, create fan fiction on on Wattpad. Um, it's a great platform. I, I do think it is limited to one medium, right? And and that medium is text on a page. And I think what we are trying to do is uh, not only create the the Web three economics around uh, you know creation and 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 building community around that, but also create a uh, I think a more compelling storytelling medium, right? Uh, that is more than just words on a page, and and that's what we're doing. We're really creating a t- a new media type. So you know it's not like Wattpad or 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 Webtoon. You know Webtoon is another one um, where you know if you're a, a really great comic book artists, you can go and, and post your, uh, your comics and, and separate them into episodes. But again, you're just reading, I mean, you're just reading static panels. The creator tools that we are building in the platform are really meant to create a uh, compelling storytelling experience uh, that is still scalable, uh, that is still like cheap to produce, essentially. So uh, you can upload a script um, in the same way that, you know, you do on Wattpad, uh, you can have that be a, a really beautiful scrolling experience so that people can read that. You can upload uh, background art. You can upload character art so that people can understand the uh, environments uh, that, that the scene is taking place in. You can upload a voiceover that uh, tells you that story. You can upload performances uh, for some of these characters so that you can start to listen to this like a narrative podcast. You can upload sound effects. You can upload... Um, all of these different things that are that are easy to produce and that you can collaborate with other uh, amazing artists to produce to create uh, a, a really compelling storytelling experience. And that, that's what these creator tools are, are really meant to do. That's so cool. Okay, so let's say I'm a, you know, a fan of Wattpad, but I'm, I'm kind of bored of it. And then I discover, you know, uh, I, I discover Storyco and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. What do I, what is like my, take me through like a step-by-step of, of my journey. I, I think the journey is going to change um, as we start to scale the platform, right? And so I think this gets into a, a, maybe a, a bit of a conversation about how we're how we're seeding the platform, how we're kicking it off. Um, right now, we a, a lot like Nintendo uh, creates the Mario games for their consoles, and they release it with Nintendo in order to prove what can be built on these consoles, whether it be the original Nintendo all the way up through the Switch. Um, very similarly, we are producing our own first piece of, of IP that is going to be launched on the StoryCo platform. It's called the Disco Ball. We just announced it the other week. We've had a huge reception to it. It's been very exciting. And the Disco Ball is really meant to demonstrate what the platform is capable of. And so today, the Disco Ball is our first production. We're already doing collaborative um, co-creation with uh, various various folks um, for the Disco Ball. We started the Disco Ball by um, partnering with a famous showrunner and producer in Hollywood. His name is Kyle Killen. He was the executive producer and showrunner of the Halo series that landed on Paramount the Fear Street series on Netflix and a bunch of network series as well. He's an incredible writer. And so he is the story architect for the Disco Ball, and he is coming up with all of the mythology and and the World Bible and also writing out the first 12 chapters, essentially the first 12 episodes of, of the Disco Ball. And we paired Kyle with these amazing artists based out of LA named Shelby and Sandy, They've got 500,000 Instagram followers. Their real life collector list is Drake and Margot Robbie and their Kardashians and everybody in between in Hollywood. 
and they're creating all of the illustrations, the backgrounds, the characters, and they, and then we'll also eventually we'll, we'll do a PFP set at the end of the telling of the story. And we'll likely give a bunch of those PFPs away, or at least do major discounts for those PFPs for the people who are contributing the most value to this story code, or sorry, the disco ball universe. And then we also paired Shelby and Sandy and Kyle with um, story musicians named Superposition. They're Grammy Grammy nominated musicians. They're doing all of the sound editing, all of the, the, the soundscapes, all the sound design. And then now we're also, we've hired A-list actors to actually act out and do the voices for the the main characters. We haven't announced that yet, but uh, we're going to be announcing that soon. And so, you know, one of the, one of the actors is, has played a lead role, the leading role in one of the most famous and highly acclaimed, most highly grossing box office movies ever. And so like, we're talking about real huge star power for the disco ball. Uh, and the idea is that we can then bring the disco ball to life but one of the really cool things about the disco ball is that we're already starting to tap into our creative community. Um, so for one of our backstories, for one of the characters being voiced by this amazing, amazing actor uh, written by Kyle Killen is now being illustrated by uh, this guy named Anu, who is from Nigeria. He's 20 years old and he was part of our community. And, and we put out a bounty for an illustrator uh, to help with this, this background story. And Anu has come now to the table with all of these amazing storyboard illustrations of this scene that Kyle has written. And we're now in the process of, of getting feedback from our producer token holder community and starting to put that into the actual platform and into the story. And so it's really incredible that this unknown person who has 200 followers on Twitter, uh, who's this amazing illustrator from Nigeria, now has come in and he's working with an A-list Hollywood writer and an A-list Hollywood actor. And his shit is so good. Uh, it's amazing. It's truly incredible. And it proves out, I think, our thesis for how this is going to go in the future, right? And so we're already starting to bring in also audience into our Discord. We're starting to engage them in these creative contests um, for, uh, for, for creating new stories inside of our Discord and starting to get the creative juices going. Because ultimately, what's going to happen is that we're going to move on from Disco Ball and we're going to start producing probably anywhere between four to five more story code produce projects, but they'll be co-productions. So we're currently talking to uh, big projects in and around the Web3 space, as well as uh, in Hollywood and doing co-production opportunities where StoryCo will have probably five, six projects, hopefully before the end of the year. And then we'll start to slowly open source and open up the, all this tooling eventually so that anybody can start to create these stories. And the idea is that, you know, we want to have thousands and thousands of stories on the StoryCo platform eventually, but we're doing it in a way that we feel is responsible, where the tooling continues to get better, where we go through iterations with smaller teams, have really high quality productions at first, and then start to scale it out so that anybody can start to produce but we'll use those really high quality productions to engage those communities so that those communities and people within those communities can start co-creating within the context of those stories at first. Okay, I mean, that that's freaking insane. So yeah, he has no Hollywood connections. He's fr from Nigeria and just kind of is popping in here contributing. And uh, and yeah, that's so cool. And in, in theory, or maybe in actuality, I'm not sure, uh, he could participate in Upside if there is some sort of um, sale of some goods or something. Like, like how, how does... How does Anu get compensated sometime uh, down the road? Yeah, so Anu is getting compensated immediately based on the bounty um, that we put out. So we're paying him out of uh, the, the StoryCo producer token, um, or sorry, it's the StoryDAO producer token community treasury. And um, and so we're paying Anu out of that. And then there's also this expectation that at some point, Anu will get a story pass moment, story moment for uh, specifically for his contributions to the Disco Ball uh, universe. And so he'll get a Disco Ball story moment associated with his contribution. And um, the idea is that then Anu will have elevated level of governance and probably some sort of specialized PFP uh, that that PFP actually has rated governance uh, or weighted governance associated with it so that the people who are contributing the most value like Anu have the most weight in the say of the direction of the disco ball in the future. And so that PFP will be tradable and it'll hopefully carry a lot of value. And so if Anu wants to sell that and say, hey, I want out of the disco ball now, that'll be a very valuable PFP as a result of that. Um, hopefully, hopefully, and we, we anticipate it will. Um, then in addition to that, you know, there will be a future in which we do tokenize the platform and, um, and there will be 
it's probably an airdrop component to that. But we're trying to be very calculated in terms of uh, even now thinking about how that airdrop will happen. And you look at platforms like what Blur did, uh, for example, and Blur, I think, versus like maybe like what Optimism did even just six months ago. And the evolution of airdrops is happening right now. And so we're trying to be very, very careful and think about it now as to how we want to reward the community in the future and who gets those rewards and who ultimately does have ownership over the future of the Storyco platform eventually as well. So let's say uh, the Disco Ball does exceptionally well in terms of just community engagement and, you know, viewer slash readership and people are super jazzed about it. What does the end state look like for, for that? And I guess this goes hand in hand with like all IP in theory, like there's a movie made about it. There's a TV show. How, how does that go from story code to like Netflix? Yeah, I think that's the unique thing that we're able to provide. Like, I think we are able to provide this layer on top of every story that gets created on the platform and be the connection, uh, we are inside the gates, right? Um, you know, we have really awesome people that are involved in, in, in the company from UTA and WME. You know, these are the largest agencies in Hollywood that understand what we're doing, that love what we're doing, <laughs> that are invested uh, in what we're doing. And um, the, I think the goal is, is to be that connection point for all of these people who never had that connection point. And as the cream starts to rise to the top, as these great stories start to get produced and start to get, gain traction and start to create community around them, um, that's when we can come in and say, hey, Netflix, look at, <laughs> look at all this. You know, like this is a story that you understand. The proof of concept is out there. This is... Uh, in the same way that Netflix goes after a comic book, because that is a, a proof of concept of what a story could be, or the way that HBO goes after um, a game like The Last of Us. Um, you know, that's IP that has already been kind of proven out in this other medium and has an engaged community around it. That's what networks are looking for, especially as they start tightening their belts, which is happening, right? You're, you're starting to see that happen already. As as they start tightening their belts, they're looking for surer bets on where to place their money. And surer bets look like, okay, I, I know what this thing is, and I know that it already has an engaged community. Even if that engaged community is small, it's still very worthwhile. And so I think what we can do is provide a whole lot of proven ad IP that has engaged community. And I think networks and studios are going to eat that up. And, um, and we have the connection points enabled to be able to uh, bring that content to them and, and bring those creators to them. But not every production on the StoryCode platform eventually will be uh, capable or, or, or even want to uh, potentially totally. get a licensing deal with a, a big streamer like that. Um, and, and again, and, and so what's really valuable to us, I think, is creating a really vibrant network you know, there's, I think Jess Sloss and Aaron Wright say this, like, right, like the value is in the network and the size of the network. And if you look at historically with the internet as well, that's certainly the case. And so for us, building a really vibrant network and a ton of really interesting content. And if you have a big enough network, then the monetization within the StoryCo platform itself, hopefully should take care of these creators, right? Like we want to create a self-contained ecosystem. And also as these tools get better and better and better, and as our tooling for storytelling expression gets better, then, you know, it might start looking a little bit more like a feature film, just being able to get made for a 10th of the price or maybe even less, like a hundredth of the price, right? And a hundred times quicker. So if we can create a tool that allows for a hundred times cheaper and a hundred times quicker, like, you know, that's true. That's true paradigm change at that point. The licensing opportunities we think is the cherry on top and the ability to even draw more eyeballs into the StoryCo platform and for certain productions that become prestige productions on the StoryCo platform. Okay. So I, I have this like way, way down, down in my notes, but uh, you, you kind of brought up faster and cheaper uh, through StoryCo. And of course, like everyone's talking about AI content generation and that's been like all the rage for the past couple of months. I guess number one, like how does AI content generation affect or impact Hollywood uh, as like a broad category. And number two, how is AI content generation impacting StoryCo? JP, you want to take the Hollywood one? I'll take StoryCo. 
Sure. Um, uh, it's, uh, I, I just read an article yesterday that it's, uh, they've added it into the WGA negotiations. Uh, they are worried about AI replacing, uh, writers. Is, Ultimately, is WGA, like the writers organization. Oh yeah. That's the, the writers guild. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so that is the organization that is currently, uh, negotiating, um, the new, uh, deal on behalf of the union. Um, and, uh, so yes, it is a, a topic that is being talked about a lot. Um, ultimately, and I've, I've said this uh, to other people, I don't know if a lot of people agree with me, but I don't, I don't think AI is going to replace writers. I think writers that, uh, that, and creatives that understand how to use AI are going to replace writers and, and creators that don't know how to use it. Ultimately, it's a tool. And we believe that uh, just like any other tool, just like editing software, just like um, all of these sort of, just like um, CGI, you know, it's a tool that can be used to uh, create better stories more efficiently. But at the end of the day, I, I feel like stories are innately human, right? <laughs> and, and should remain that way. But if we can allow creators to use tools like AI to tell uh, better stories, to tell them uh, faster and with less friction, that benefits, I think, everyone. I think there's part of Hollywood that doesn't even realize the potential ramifications of this yet, for sure. Like, right, like maybe like a quarter of a percent of the people do um, right now. But even things like acting is going to get, I think, really interesting <laughs> over the next 10, 20, 100 years. Um, you know, you think about somebody like Tom Cruise, for example, and JP and I have debated about this a ton, right? But like, at what point is is Tom Cruise going to sell his AI rights? At what point? And, and for how yeah. much, right? Like Tom Cruise's AI rights to him is going to be worth what? Like a billion dollars? So Two much. billion? Maybe like four billion? Like who knows, right? If I were bitter, it would be a lot, right? Because now all of a sudden, now, now you can't go make a new Mission Impossible. And so the question that JP and I debate is like, is Tom Cruise going to sell his rights for Mission Impossible for like that character? Or is he going to mm -hmm. sell Tom Cruise rights overall? Or you could do both. He could say, you own AI rights for this character. And then I'm also going to sell my new AI rights for new characters that you whoever's the steward of this can now create new Tom Cruise movies. And so this has implications in movies. It has implications in voices. It has implications in, you know, animation. It has, it has implications kind of across the spectrum in Hollywood. Um, and it's going to have uh, it's, it's going to be integrated into like the WGA. It's going to be integrated into actors um, contracts. Um, and so right now I think Hollywood is just getting their arms wrapped around like, how should we even be thinking about this? And I guarantee you that within the next couple of years, we're going to start seeing some really big like AI rights deals that are going to start happening that are going to be like totally eye opening uh, for people, um, especially as as big major actors like Tom Cruise start to pass away, start to die, and then their estate starts to say, "Oh well, we can actually monetize their AI rights in like wow. really profound ways." It's crazy. Okay, so that, yeah, that that's incredible. I'm I'm shocked that more of Hollywood is not just going crazy over over AI content generation. Cause I feel like a lot of copywriters and writers in general, right away, we're like, oh my God, you know, our jobs are, are at risk. Even though I think that um, as JP mentioned, like these are tools that magnify your abilities. They're not necessarily replacements. I think at some point, like they, they will be replacements, but that's, that's far away. So I think for the foreseeable future, there'll be tools that magnify your abilities. But in terms of how does AI content generation impact StoryCo, what I would imagine is just like, a, again, like a force multiplier. It's like, I am not a good artist, but if I can enter in, you know, I, I want to make a comic, for example, enter in, you know, hey, make this cool ninja character. Boom, I, I have it. Is that kind of how you guys are seeing it? Just like as that force multiplier? That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we're starting to think about all of this already um, and starting to build the platform so that these things can be uh, really easily integrated in the future. I mean, I think the the goal is... You know, um, when you upload a script to the platform and you're using our creator tools, we're using scripts as this um, as this uh, sort of base level uh, thing to start with because scripts already have uh, all of this metadata involved with them in terms of scenes, in terms of formatting. Um, so you can upload a script and immediately the the platform understands. Okay, here are all of the characters. Here are all of the scenes. 
here are the scene transitions. Here are already descriptions of the scenes that you've written out. Um, can I uh, generate, uh, you know, some background images for the vast reaches of space for you? Because that seems like this is where uh, this scene is taking place. Uh, oh, this character has a description already in the script. Um, let's maybe generate a, a, a character image for, for this character. And, and you can add tools to that. And you can either um, collaborate with another person or, or send that out as a bounty to uh, you know the larger community. I want to work with someone to create all of this art. Or if you want to fly solo, you know, and you just have one skill set, which is writing or which is um, art that you can uh, use AI to um, uh, fill in the gaps of where you might not be as strong uh, to create a, a really cohesive, amazing, uh, engaging story. You know, as we think about this, um, you know, one of the things we don't want to lose associated with leveraging AI is the role of like the, the human element of it and the role of the true creative um, and, and the collaboration elements that we think can be harnessed through the platform. And so we're really thinking about how do we leverage AI, but do it in a way that it feels authentic to the creativity and also authentic to the platform and the network that we want people to build within, within the StoryCo platform. And so it's not just like black and white, like you come in and it's all AI generated. We don't really think that that's the future, or if that is, it's not really for us. We think that there still needs to be these bespoke elements, collaborative elements, uh, that, that things are better together, that things are better when they're worked on together, more creativity happens, more ideation happens as a result of it. And so we're really starting to dial in on like, what does that look like? And should we also expose to the end user who is witnessing and reading or experiencing these stories, should we expose them and say, 80% of this is AI generated or 30% of this is AI generated? What does that look like? And what's our responsibility to the consumer? Um, so those are big, big topical questions that we're kind of wrestling with philosophically right now. And this space is, is evolving really, really fast. Um, and, and it's only going to get better and new tools are going to come about. And so it's a spectrum and solving this is not just like a, a, like there's no silver bullet. It just has to be something that I think we have to constantly be thinking about how AI is integrated into the platform appropriately. I, I have a question about uh, kind of macro big picture future in a world where content generation is cheap, like a hundred X cheaper than where it's at today. And there's a flood of content out there. Um, and th there's already a flood, but I'm talking about like tsunami. Where does the edge lie? Does it lie in like an incredible story? Does it lie in, in, in the distribution channels? Like how do you, how do you outcompete or really shine in, in an environment like that? I, I've got to take maybe JP, you do too. I, I think it, it comes back to that, the, those personal connections, right? And it's personal connections with the story, how the story relates and interacts and engages the audience is kind of one of the big ways, right? You can put out a lot of empty content, but if it doesn't resonate, it doesn't touch, it doesn't speak to an audience. But I think to a certain extent, as you look, as, as you look forward, a lot of these experiences, people want them to be interactive. They want them to be immersive. They want them, they want to actually feel something. They want to be a part of something. And so we think that the StoryCode platform needs to uniquely enable those types of connection points, those types of experiences, those types of magical moments that matter to people, especially in a world in which those are evaporating more quickly than ever as a result of the kind of AI boom that's happening and, and just the vapidness of some of these social media channels. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so sorry, JP. So it's, it, uh, so it's like, make it experiential. Don't make it just a, a one-sided viewer watching, make it like, no, no, no. Viewer is a participant. Uh, uh, yes, for sure. Um, I mean, we believe in that, uh, fundamentally, uh, we're, we're incorporating a lot of those elements into, um, the disco ball, uh, a lot of those elements. Um, and so, and I think those are the things that web three and the community around uh, these stories that that's an unlock, right? I mean, we, we, every time there is a big shift in, um, technology around media, it actually changes the media type. It changes the media itself. You know, the, the, every time there's a revolution around on how, uh, media and, and content generates revenue, it actually changes the media type, right? I mean, when you went from an ad-based model to a 
uh, subscription model with HBO. And that was a subscription model through a cable network. You got different content. The Sopranos could not have existed in an ad model world. And then when you had direct monetization with Netflix, it created a different kind of content, created bingeable content. And binge content looks different uh, and feels different and is different structurally than episodic content or or content that where you needed to, you know, uh, escalate the drama in order to get to an ad break. Uh, and then, so there was a, a very, uh, you know, distinct structure that you had to write to. Um, when, when you have a binge content, you don't need to write to that. You don't even have to have a cliffhanger at the end of the next episode because it goes straight to the next episode, right? So what are the unlocks? Yeah, I think, I think what JP was saying is that, um, like what what this new model basically unlocks for for the connections between the creators and fans ultimately in creating these these more um you know these deeper connection points that people uh, have long lasting impressions with and and we've seen these experience experiences and in, in existing content producers starting to lean into these experiences right you see it with like HBO and Disney where they do after the episode stuff and um, you see it where D- Disney's a great example of this where their theme parks are an experience right like you know this is this is this is what Disneyland is. Um, and so, and you can go in and I don't know if you've done rise of the resistance yet, but I've got young kids and I did rise of the resistance and it feels like immersive theater, like you're in it. Right. And so, and so the world is heading a little bit more this direction anyways, where, where people want to be connected to, they want to feel in it. They want to feel immersed in it. And it creates these deeper connection points that for people like Disney create a deeper tie to the content itself. And which then ties to direct monetization opportunities where they're going to buy the the new sweatshirt or or they're going to buy the doll for the kids or whatever it may be you know which which leads to merch opportunities new content opportunities and and just the continuing growth of of these franchises where you get these fan this fandom that's deeply connected to the the intellectual property that you're creating all right so speaking of like ip speaking of monetization what role do or does nfts or do nfts play in this world? Because for me, I, I see them as like the ultimate monetization tool, like the best monetization tool that's ever been created. It's like digital merchandise that you can ship instantaneously. Uh, anyone can buy them. They can be in like any country. You don't have to deal with like wire transfers or anything. They can buy them instantaneously and get get, get, get sent to them right away. H- how do you view NFTs in, in context of, you know, content, Hollywood, Storyco? Yeah. Um, we're leaning into NFTs in a number of different ways. It's like very, very core to the platform. We have the story pass, which we talked about briefly, which is a soul bound token. So it's not tradable. It's more links to your reputation and your identity within the story code platform. And, um, and it really is a way for the story, the universe, the content creators and story code to be able to, to, to be able to say, here's who this person is and here's what they've done reputationally within the platform. And also for you to be able to port your reputation over to potentially other platforms, right? Um, because it lives on the blockchain. Then there's the idea of, of, uh, tradable tokens and, um, collectibles, uh, and, and then also like membership tokens. And so we have the StoryDAO producer token, which, which you're a member of because you're an investor. Uh, but we also added several hundred other amazing filmmakers and business leaders and storytellers and animators, um, musicians into this collective. And it's a membership based collective. And we have the StoryDAO producer token, um, the actual token. That's an an- little animated GIF. It's pretty cool. Um, and that's a membership based, based token where this StoryDAO producer token that is a helpful brain trust for us to be able to uh, assist us as we go through the disco ball production and also building up the story co platform. It's been incredible for us. And as a result of their participation and help, we're giving them benefits of future NFT drops and um, uh, you know probably future airdrops and things like that as a result. Um, and, and and then there's the collectible kind of uh, and, and governance piece as well, right? NFTs are so good for so many things. The collectibles piece, we think that's that's a, like a very integral part of what we're doing where the characters, the scenes, the objects can become collectibles in and of themselves, right? Imagine owning the actual like first Luke Skywalker or one of the derivations of Luke Skywalker before it was even created or at the very beginning. Um, and then you could trade that Luke Skywalker, but maybe the most rare Luke Skywalker had the ability to help govern the treasury in a more outweighted way because you contributed more to that universe and you have more say over the future of that universe. So we're definitely leaning into a number of these different categories. And StoryCo 
as a, as a business, very similar to kind of going back to Steam, is thinking about how do we help creators monetize effectively and build the technology to help them monetize effectively. And so all of these tools and technologies are going to be integrated into our platform natively so that people can create their own PFP set so that people can have their own soulbound soulbound token and story pass for their universe so that you know folks can do their own type of their own producer token and bring people closer to the actual production and so we're again we're like kind of seeding all of this stuff and learning how it all works and learning the best practices and then we're scaling this technology out to replicate a lot of that for other creators to be able to leverage within the Storyco platform all right so i guess historically how do the big franchises or like media IPs, how have they made their money? Is it like through, you know, the, the sale of their, you know, rights to show it on Netflix to, 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 you know, show their TV show on Netflix or whatever, or is it through like t-shirts and like toys and, and whatnot? Like where is the main revenue source coming from? It depends on the type of franchise, I think ultimately. But if you look at one of the, probably the highest grossing franchise ever, it's actually Pokemon, right? Pokemon's a good example. And I think Pokemon makes, mm, don't quote me on this, but I think it's like 80, 80, 80 plus percent of their revenue on just merch, right? Um, and so merch for these story universes, merch becomes huge, huge revenue source for them. Um, uh, th- licensing the content to Netflix and Amazon or HBO, I think becomes a very interesting opportunity. But you know, as JP talked about, IP is IP and it's a seed of, of interesting thing like content, characters, stories that people start to gravitate gravitate towards stories are very unique in that way. And once people start to gravitate towards it, they want to experience that content in all these different strain, like strands of the IP and in different ways, right? So you might want to play a game. You might want to buy the merch. You might want to see the movie. You might want to have a TV show. You might want to have a theme park or a real life experience, digital experience, a VR experience, a metaverse experience. Like there's extensions of the IP that can go all sorts of different directions. NFTs is one of them. But um, today, I think a lot of the IP in kind of the Web3 world um, is really thought of as like character centric and having a lot of difficulty kind of escaping away from that because there's not a lot of story baked into those characters. And and so it's really hard to build uh, durable IP from just characters. And instead, you, you see it more through Disney and Star Wars where they're building durable IP through stories first. The characters are a part of that story. The characters become loved as a part of that story, but the story is the thing that really everybody's attached to. Super cool. Okay. All right. I, I, know, I know we're close to time here, but before, before going into the closing questions, what is the future of StoryCo? Like what, what is the, you know, snap your fingers, 10 years, 10 years out. What does StoryCo look and act and feel like? Uh, Storyco is a, a really vibrant network of creatives and fans coming together. Um, there's thousands of stories on the Storyco platform. We have a token that governs uh, the platform. It's uh, sufficiently decentralized at that point. Uh, we have really stable governance associated with the platform itself. And we have um, uh, many, many, many dozens of major motion pictures, um, an Oscar, a Grammy. Uh, you know, it's a really vibrant platform that has created really compelling content, premium content, and has a network of amazing creators and fans around it that, uh, you know, and, and ultimately our mind's eye, people should look at StoryCo in 10 years and say, man, that was so obvious in hindsight, but like nobody saw it kind of the same way that people talk about Netflix today. Um, and we think that the power of this platform could be of the size and scale of a Netflix eventually, or maybe bigger potentially. Amazing. Love it. All right. Closing question time. What are you bearish on? No royalties. Like, fuck that. Um, honestly, uh, you know, I get it because the, the race to the bottom with all these marketplaces with OpenSea and blur and, and whatever else is out there, but royalties, I think as part of the crypto and web three ecosystem, it just feels right. Um, creators are moving to this new technology because there are royalties because of the difference that the blockchain can have this permanent record of who buys, who sells, who trades and have it route, have, have money routed in different directions. And by taking away the royalties, I think that we're taking away a lot of the incentive of creators creating in web three, um, you know, just creating NFTs and not being able to see the upside and the downstream effects 
of those NFT sales that are happening, I think reduces the amount of, it'll potentially dampen the, the fervor around the creativity and the creator set within the NFT world. So we're thinking deeply about that right now. I think that um, verticalized marketplaces are going to become kind of normal, I think, as a result of this. And um, and we're certainly thinking about either that direction or some enforcement mechanisms around it where you know your NFT loses its utility. Um, now, you, NFTs need to have utility in order to like lose utility, right? And so a lot of the PFP sets today don't really have a lot of utility to them. And so how do you create utility around your NFTs and then create almost like a freemium model where, hey, listen, if you want additional access or information or whatever it may be, um, the benefits of, of what this NFT can deliver to you, then guess what? You got to go pay the royalty fee. Um, and so I think that new new evolutions of technology, new systems to to combat this are going to come out. But I think that the race to the bottom is is exactly that. It's a race to the bottom. All right. What are you bullish on? But you, you but besides Strico. Yeah. I would say that the thing um, that I am probably most bullish on is just more broadly the consumer crypto. Uh, I think I, I think consumer crypto is going to be an absolutely massive space. The uh, ability to attract um, amazing uh, community, engage that community in really material ways is going to be pretty profound. Uh, Storyco is one representation of that. There are a lot of others that are building right now in the space. The gaming sector is going to be huge, I think, in Web3. Um, and the ability to just leverage Web3 technology to create that more intimate, deliver new access points, deliver new gamification mechanisms into uh, into gaming experiences and consumer experiences is going to be really profound, right? We saw what happened with Reddit. Um, we're seeing big brands like Starbucks starting to adopt NFTs. And I think that this that the consumer crypto space is going to be bigger than we ever imagined it. But a lot of it will look like what happened with Starbucks and with Reddit, where a lot of people don't even realize that you're using crypto rails, honestly. Now, there will be some really native companies like us, or like Audius is a good example. Audius has 5 million monthly active users today. And you kind of know you're using crypto rails, but not really. Um, you know, There's a token, but you have a, a create-your-own-wallet within Audius, very similar to StoryCo. And so I think that these companies like StoryCo and like Audius will abstract away a lot of the crypto-ness of the, of the technology or, or the Web3-ness of the technology and really make it feel like this seamless and native experience and just like really beautiful product experience for the, for the end user, which today hasn't evolved. We haven't like quite gotten there yet, but it's coming um, and, and big platforms will evolve out of it. What is your favorite book? What is your favorite video? My favorite book is probably um, business book is or like life book is Navalmanac. Um I like Ooh. it's like it's like always on like around. That's I always good. pick it up. Naval is like a total hero of mine. Um just an amazing modern day philosopher who I think really puts it into context of like how you should be thinking about things like wealth building and, and happiness. Uh from a fictional perspective, Count of Monte Cristo is probably my favorite book. Um and it just, it was one of those books that I picked up when I just graduated from college. It was just like such an amazing read. And, um, and from a story perspective, it really resonated with me. And then from a movie perspective, my favorite movie is probably Field of Dreams. It's probably because I think for me, like what stories represent is the emotional attachment to the story. It's, I don't look at stories and like, oh, this Quentin Tarantino, like the, the way he directed it and the way he cut it. Oh, that's my favorite movie. Like, that's just not like, that's not really me. What, what I'm all about is like how it speaks to my heart and how it speaks to like the emotional part of me and feel the dreams is this movie that I was so obsessed with baseball. And now my son is obsessed with baseball and we watch it together. And it's just like this amazing father son movie with historical perspective. And I don't know, just, and Kevin Costner, you can't go wrong with Kevin Costner. That's awesome. All right. Last question. How do you define success? For how I define my own personal success is, um, is, is, assigning whether it's in business personally family whatever it's assigning a set of values um for you know like we have our own family values um i have my own personal values uh, we have our own company values and my definition of success is how well i my family and the company is aligning to those individual values on a daily basis that's amazing wow that, that i was not expecting that answer that's so cool 
So, so, so you sat down with your family and you're like, Hey guys, uh, I want to, I want to yeah. design some family values w- w- with, with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And we hung them on the wall. Yeah. That is amazing. I, I'm, I'm going to go do that. That's so yeah. cool. <laughs> it's a good life hack, honestly, because when you have little kids, like I know you've got a, a, a like a one-year-old now, um, yeah. and, and I've got a nine-year-old and a six-year-old and as they start getting older, it's like, okay, well, what do we, what do we actually value here? Like, how do we set the, how do we chart the path of like the way that we want to interact and teach our kids on a daily basis for our own parenting, but also for them to have this perspective of like, okay, these are our family values, right? And, and here's how I should be aligning with those family values. And you can always like reinforce behavior through remembering and, and, and pointing out the family values, like, Hey, what happened there? didn't quite align with our family values, whether it's me, like maybe I'll like get impatient. I'll be like, Hey guys, like that didn't align with our family values. I'm sorry. You know? Um, and, and same thing with the kids where you can point it out too. Um, and so I think that's uh, like a really powerful, um, mechanism for everybody to just kind of like stay, uh, on track. Totally. Amazing. All right, Justin and JP, uh, thank you so much for, for, for coming on. It was a blast and we will chat soon. This is great. Thanks so much, Andrew. Good talk.